When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ultra Hope Girls of Danganronpa podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about episode seven of the future and the despair arcs of the DR3 anime featuring our favorite girls back again for the first part, at least. So we're excited about that. Just a heads up, this episode will spoil episode seven, Danganronpa 3 anime. All right. And that's it, laddies. Let's get into it. I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. One, two. Welcome to the Don and Roomba podcast. You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. Uh, the first thing I want to say is. I'm watching the sub version, so the Japanese version, and I just wanted to give major kudos to Monica's voice actress. She's really good. There I'm watching know. the dub version, sadly. <laughs> what? <laughs> I know. No, I'm just teasing. It's fun actually to see a bunch of new it's fun. It's fun to see a bunch of new voice actors because a lot of the ones from this anime are very different than the ones from the game. Oh, um, really? so- yeah, it's interesting to see different people's takes on the characters. Like specifically Toko in this one is a different voice actress. So oh. and any interpretation of the character is very, very different. Like it's a really good example of two actors with basically the same source material taking total liberties. Like that's why acting is so fun because you never know, you know, like what, like how someone is going to interpret something. And that's why for all of the people who want to be actors out there, that's why, you know, when you're auditioning for stuff, you shouldn't really compare yourself to others because they're just looking for you, really. I mean, that's just the the God's honest truth. So, and this is a good example of it. It's two different tokos, two different directors cast these two different actresses. And so there you go, lads. Amen. <laughs> Snaps to that. Speaking of voices, Monica, when she's giving her big speech at the beginning, she says some of her quotes in very different voices that sound a lot like Masaru and Nagisa. And it reminded me a lot of Junko's different voices that she used, like in chapter five and six, you know, when she's like, you know, teacher Junko and like intense Junko and like all this <laughs> stuff. It's just kind of kind of cool that you know, we see Monica transforming into this role of being Junko's predecessor. Is that a word? Does predecessor come first? I don't remember heir. if predecessor comes heir first. Heir. We'll heir, heir to Junko's throne. <laughs> <laughs> She's taking over as like the next Junko, right? And we see her even do that through her mannerisms and through, you know, this speech to the Monokumas. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting. It's true. I had a note. Oh, I had like an actual thought. Oh, it's... um. I, I'm smart. I have thoughts. Um, no, my my thought was also that so so right now Monica is like trying to copy what Junko is already doing. Like she's just like following in her footsteps and not really adding anything new. It kind of reminds me like mild my hero academia spoilers, but it kind of reminds me of like how Midoriya like idolizes All Might so much that he almost can't 
think outside the box of like what it's supposed to look like, like what despair is supposed to look like for Monica. And so, you know, I'm kind of wondering if like, that's why she's so quick to fall is because she can't like think outside of this mold that Junko has like given to her, not like on purpose, but like she's idolized her for so long that it's hard for her to think outside. That's why she's like, yeet guys, I'm going to space and (laughs) that's it. (laughs) Here, I said, Monica's like despair is out of style now that Junko's gone. Guess I got to destroy the world or leave it. And she's like, and the choice is easy. And then she just leaves. And it was so... (laughs) like anticlimactic and yeah. just and it reminded me a little bit of a quote that I heard and I have no idea who it's from but it was that the only thing worse than hatred is apathy it's worse to feel apathy from someone than hatred because at least they're acknowledging you actually Caroline it might have been you in the first chapter of this yeah, podcast it, when we season. talked about um Jotaro yeah and how it's yeah. like oftentimes like especially when like younger children are mean or they're annoying it's not because they really maybe want to be hated but it's because the having the attention is better than having absolutely everyone ignore you um yeah because we crave social interaction like we're social animals you know as much as i hate to admit that (laughs) i'm just kidding so that's horrible (laughs) i'm I'm an introvert that's the joke That's the joke. I love people, but, <laughs> need but it's kind of interesting because like, I think in a way she does take Junko's despair and makes it her own through apathy, which is a lot less intimidating of a villain, but in a different lens is just as effective in terms of emotional manipulation, you know, like Toko and Kamaru, they don't get answers out of her. They don't right. really get anything. <laughs> and it's just kind of like, oh, that's a really yeah. good point. Yeah. The despair of an anticlimactic ending with the villain I I had a note about that as well and I was like curious as to what you guys thought about like Monica just giving up whether that was like ooh quirky villain blah 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 or whether that was just like a totally useless like plot point because I was like at first I I was like yeah this is so anticlimactic and like what's the point of this at all but then I was like you know it's so teenager of her that I honestly can't be upset with it like it's just you know which I will say I don't know how much time has passed since the end of Ultra Despair Girls but it, it's definitely at least a couple of years right because the kids seem older um so yeah, it's been at least enough time for Toko and Biakia to have 19 kids <laughs> right right that's oh our god our oh game. god <laughs> um on the topic of Toko my next note is that Toko has still not changed her clothes Right. She, she is not an intern anymore, but she's chosen to wear her stinky, smelly clothes. Literally instead. from the first killing game. That is what she wore in Trigger Happy Havoc. And it's been like probably like five years and she has yeah. not changed her clothes. You know, with football teams and hockey teams and stuff, how people will wear the same socks like throughout the season. Really? Oh That's yeah, yes. they won't wash them. Oh, it's so gross. Your socks, then it's bad luck. And that to me is Toko's outfit. She's like, the only way we can get through this killing game is if Toko continues to wear that outfit. <laughs> <laughs> That's the sock thing. That's so gross though. Ew. It's a little gnarly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's real. Uh, also talking about Toko and Genocide Jack, 
Genocide Jack, when she comes on the screen, is labeled as the high school level murderer, which is quite a title in this game series. To mm-hmm. be the ultimate murderer, right. I think we should <laughs> consider that. Well, every other murderer was caught so oh. far. Oh. And she hasn't been. <laughs> also, I have a note that says, the kids survived. Yes. I was so, oh, I was so happy. Oh, beans. They deserve the world. And Jotaro's not wearing his mask. Yeah. Oh, it's post-COVID over there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going back for a sec. I had a note to add to Maddie's point about like Monica being a teenager. And then we kind of went on a tangent there. But I'm, I got to go back for a sec because I had never thought of it that way. And that kind of shows the contrast between the themes of childhood and Ultra Despair Girls and like where it's what's become of it and maybe what would have become of the children's paradise that she created if they had gone through with it because children grow grow up and Monica like a teenager sorry that's a stereotype but it's kind of true I mean I did it (laughs) like it's like mom leave me alone and like locks herself in a room like it's so thank you for yep that but yeah just it's the, the contrast of the two things that I think is why that moment happens in my opinion Um, Yeah. yeah. And I also noticed another funny little detail that I kind of interpreted as like the directors of the story telling us that like that phase of childhood was gone for those kids. And this is just one funny detail. But um, at the very beginning of the episode, some of the Monokumas that are hanging out with Monica are like at like a bar. Like it looks like they're like drinking alcohol. And I'm like, (laughs) huh. (laughs) I feel like the uh, Monokumas in this episode were really just champs you know they They were were chilling they were buddies (laughs) there was no killing from the monokumas like they were just hanging out this time yeah it was kind of nice it's all we can ask for just bros being bros you know right just bros being bros um talking about monica and growing up she when she's talking to toko and kamaru brings up a quote where she says there was this person who kind of turned me into an adult way too soon and it flips to a picture of Nagito. And I want to talk about that because what did we think that meant? How did Nagito affect Monica so much that she became who she is today? Well, I mean, throughout Ultra Despair Girls, he is, you know, he's despair Nagito. So he's like kind of for despair, but he's also for hope still in like this weird twisted way. And so Nagito in general, even throughout the second game too, represents this gray area that is so present in adulthood. It's like when we're children, the black and the white feels so easy to commit to. But as we grow up, we realize there's nuances to things. And I think that Nagito's personality, it it shows all of the nuances of adulthood because he is so gray all the time. He is never black and white. 50 shades of gray. That's good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, but you're right. No, I, I actually really agree with you. I think that's true. And I think the way that I heard it the first time, I went back and I played the minute over again because I was like, what does that mean? Like, what did he do? But I don't think it's meant to be taken in that light. Like, I think you're right. It's more of a like whispering ideas to her as he was like the the slave in, in Ultra Despair Girls kind of thing. But it's just kind of an interesting moment to just flash through and keep going 
right oh yeah I initially also was like a little taken aback by just like the syntax of the comment for a moment I was like wait hold on a second but yeah I, I definitely don't think it was intended to be interpreted in a way other than like a, I guess like maybe moral or intellectual way because I totally agree with what Caroline said I think Nagito represents the gray area and that is something that you know becoming an adult requires you to understand nuance like Caroline said and um and then Monica I think goes on to say something along the lines of like oh because of him like I started to get bored by the whole like hope versus despair thing or like whatever she kind of goes on to say that so that's how I interpreted it is that it's just like she he, the complexity that he brought to the situation made her just kind of be like screw this whole hope despair thing like it's not all it's cracked up to be and so <laughs> maybe this is just me but when monica just like blasts off into space at first i was like is she dead like <laughs> i'm like is she I, just i'm pretty sure she's not because then i'm i was like sitting there the first time i was watching this show and i was like is Monica just dead now? But then Toko and Kamaru start talking about like, oh, she'll learn. Like, she'll get older. She'll understand. And I was like, okay, so I don't think she's dead. But she <laughs> just like literally blasted herself off into space in the back of a truck. So I, suspension of disbelief, I suppose. But <laughs> right. I think it kind of lends to a potential future game honestly because a really great way to continue a series is to throw one of the main antagonists up into space for an an undetermined amount of time and then just when you're ready bring her back you know um and who knows maybe she does come back in future games oh wow who knows (laughs) or maybe maybe she comes back in the rest of this show i honestly don't remember i actually have no memory of that i have no idea (laughs) so Talking about her spaceship, there's a box within it labeled Darazon, which has a little smiley under. It's like an Amazon box, yeah, um, oh but with DR, so Danganronpa. Yeah, you know, I, you yeah. know. And I just wanted to bring up the idea that if Amazon exists in that dimension, then we do too. Wait a minute. So all of this is real. Have you seen oh, that theory? No. There was a, a video by Hank Green on TikTok and he was like, someone brought up that in Ant-Man and the Wasp, Ant-Man is reading uh, The Fault in Our Stars, which means that John Green exists in the MCU, which means that Hank Green exists in the MCU. And he was like, which means all of you exist in the MCU. <laughs> so by that logic. I really hope we don't, but. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Ultimate literary girl up there. <laughs> I'm I'm there. Me and Toka will have to compete for the title, but how will we? Because we're too passive aggressive and afraid to do so. <laughs> I have all of my the rest of my notes are literally just. Um, can you tell I love um, the characters Toko and Biakia because they're all about them, even though they're not <laughs> featured. Like Biakia's in this episode, like two for two seconds, but I just was so excited that he was even there. I just want to talk about Toko's, I mean, we, we talked about the 19 children, um, <laughs> Toko's fantasy, that was just I silly, and I, but though I, I'm really glad in the Ultra Despair Girls episode that they brought that back, because that was such a big thing in the game, and I was not <laughs> expecting it, and when it came up, I was like, oh my god, and it was just so over the top, and Viakio riding in on that, like, car, I was just like, hmm, 
<laughs> wow. Excuse me. I need to fan myself for that. Um, and then, and then um, I also love that after Byakuya like senses that Toko is like fantasizing about him, that just made me laugh. And I'm glad that this show or in the games are like self-aware enough that like that's something that they just threw in there so and lastly they have the video chat with Biakuya and like Togo is like drooling during it but she's like relaying the information she's not like completely incoherent which I think definitely shows like you know some serious like growth within themselves also both of them have grown so much and you can really see that in this episode like how much they've changed like yeah anyway that okay I just love those two, th- those characters. They're kings. So one of the last notes I have as well, you know, she jets off into space. Monica's going away. She hits the M off of the building and what's left is onaka, which means stomach in Japanese. Huh. And I, I don't know why that's there. I don't know if it's just random. It's like, oh, Monica's name is now off the building. But they showed that. They showed the name on the building like three times from the start to the end and I was like stomach (laughs) (laughs) what we that is so like you know the guy with the yarn like the meme with the yarn like that is just like (laughs) we are that all the time 100 percent yeah it reminds me of like so there's um oh what is it where I used to live there is a an Einstein bros bagels shop like near my house and um, this one day, some of the lights went out and it just said Einstein Brogels. And like for the rest of like three years, it was like that. And every time I drive by, I'd be like, what does it mean? What does it mean? Einstein Brogel. My last note is just the revelation that we get at the end of this episode that apparently someone that is you know makoto was involved with um at the end of the first killing game so one of the six survivors supposedly is going to die wow and, wow. and that, that like that was uh, because bomb. of makoto yeah is like yeah. the implication and i don't know if that means that makoto is going to kill someone or like if there's just some reason like something makoto's involved in is going to get someone killed my last note based off of that is when Monica is like jetting off into space and they're like you have to tell us who it is like who's gonna die and she's like fine it's gonna be (laughs) (laughs) yeah there's a little like fart animation that was the funniest thing oh my goodness that that, I I love that so much That, that made me cackle I forgot about that. Oh my god. <laughs> That's too good. Thank you, Monica, for, yes. for giving us this joy today. Also, as an audience, how despair like how despair inducing is it continuing this show knowing one of the survivors will die, according to Monica? Like, you know what I mean? Like that's like, oh man, like we cannot have a moment of peace in this series, let me tell you. <laughs> Should Kamaro have shared that with Makoto? Because, like, Kamaro knows that her brother is how he is, and he's like, everything's my fault, and, you know, I'm a leader. So, I mean, I will say, like, you know, if we take Oedipus, which I know, like, Oedipus complex is, like, a common word, but the myth itself is about a, a king who finds a prophecy that one day his son will kill him. 
that's like the prophecy. And so he tries to take every action to like prevent that from happening, which in turn makes that event occur. Like if he had just ignored the prophecy and lived life normal, it probably wouldn't have happened. But because of his own like hubris or I don't know, whatever. I mean, also fear that your son will kill you, um, you know, valid, I would say uh, he like took action against it and it and in turn happened. And so I'm almost wondering if Kamaro hadn't shared these details, if it, like if someone were to die as a result of this, like, th- like, would it have been prevented with her not having told him? you know just just a thought yeah also one of the is it someone in the game like we know it's someone in the killing game like because it could also be like it we don't know because like hina i think it's hina says something like oh well byakuya toko and um hero are probably safe but like we don't know and and so i think that we we just don't know we, we gotta okay. think about our boy hero out there i know, right I know. Now. he's gonna get gunned down by makoto i love hero he is a king mm-hmm. he is <laughs> all right everybody we're gonna take a quick break before we go on to the despair arc episode but we want to know all your thoughts about the dr3 anime make sure you leave a voicemail at anchor.fm we love to hear from you and you can tweet at us or follow us on Instagram. We're Ultra Hope Girls Podcast pretty much everywhere. And yeah, we will see you after the break. Hello, everybody. Caroline here with a pretty exciting announcement. So I, separate from the other Ultra Hope Girls, am offering some online virtual classes in things such as writing, because, you know, I'm the ultimate literary girl and performing, and also some clubs and classes virtually via my own school, which I founded, called The Spilling Ink School. You can check that out at thespillinginkschool.com. I'm offering tutoring and college essays. I'm offering, you know, piano classes and all that jazz. So definitely check it out. It's a good time. And I will also be offering some clubs and classes that are Danganronpa related via OutSchool. So I'll keep the links all in the description. They are for people under 18, so ask your parents before checking it out. But yeah, I'm excited to potentially have some listeners in my classes, and I wanted to let you know that that's going on. So thanks so much in advance for checking it out, and I look forward to teaching some of you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Let's get going. So we learn a lot more about Mitarai in this episode. And I think we get to see more of his talent in this episode come out. Like really why he has been deemed the ultimate animator. Yeah, like before this episode, I think he is shown as a very, you know, scared, nervous, lack of sleep kind of energy, you know, but this, we really get to see why. And I think it's really cool, like when he goes into talking with Junko about, you know, his his work and how it works. And yeah, it was just cool to see him in his element. For sure. I actually had a question for the group on that note. 
So if Ryota has to use brainwashing techniques to get people to like his anime, does that mean that he's the best animator ever or the worst animator ever? I think that it makes him the best animator, but one of the worst storytellers. Hmm. Because he is using animation to charm everyone who watches his anime. However, he relies on that to make it succeed. Oh, God, that's so real. Because if he didn't use this brain mind manipulation stuff, but he just told a story from the heart, it would probably have the same impact on the people watching. But like, yeah, you're that's a great. Oh, great. I can have said it better myself, I would say. Ooh. I know I'm the ultimate <laughs> literary girl, but you said it the best. I'll give Ooh, it to you, Marin. He said it the best. Oh, cute for us. <laughs> but yeah, what do you think, Maddie? Um, I I don't know. I think that that's a good way of putting it, but I wasn't sure. That's partly why I wanted to like pose the question to the group because I was like, oh, he's the he's the best animator. Look at like all these advanced techniques that he's able to use. And then I was like, wait, if he has to brainwash people into liking his anime wouldn't that mean that he's the worst anime I don't know I think yeah it it depends on how you look at it it's interesting when he's explaining how the creators of the in the Danganronpa 3 anime are using the same techniques to us uh Mitarai says I can use visual cues here and I can use sound and box I can use sound to increase focus and box 15 starts playing which is what we were like shown to focus in the games like it's like oh it's just it it feels like another one of those things where the creators of Danganronpa are like poking fun at us like they're like ha 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 we do this too right yeah (laughs) Yeah. it's very meta does that then pose the question that all storytelling is manipulation in one way or another I mean that's a terrible way to look at it I mean honestly but like and obviously we're not using like crazy technology like like a literal you know what he is doing but I mean like oftentimes when we see a good like play or a good movie we think okay if it's a comedy did it make us laugh did it make us cry if it was like like my favorite movies are the ones that make me like weep like a baby but is it is, isn't that just like I'm just saying I'm just hmm. asking Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And I think, yes, actually, I think that the point of entertainment is to manipulate us. And I think that that's not necessarily all a bad thing. Like you said, like the most enjoyable shows or movies or whatever sometimes are the ones that, you know, get at your emotions and make you cry or make you laugh or make you feel scared or like, you know, we want fiction to make us feel things. And you know, we let ourselves be manipulated by that because we find it meaningful. And yeah, so I think absolutely storytelling is a form of manipulation, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, I was going to disagree until Maddie said the thing about manipulation not having to be bad, because I think it does have a negative connotation. But if you take it for face value, yes, art is created to make the artist or the audience feel something um, or both, you know, but um, yeah. So yeah, I do actually, that's a really, that's a really interesting, it's like 9.50 a.m. And, and we are, we are like, we're like, are art we manipulation? We're on fire. <laughs> we um, that's awesome. I think that leads really well into that quote from Ryota that Caroline, you briefly hinted at earlier 
right like I, to talk about it i i watched this episode like a month ago because i thought we were doing this episode a month ago but we didn't <laughs> do this episode a month ago and so i just had a net that said firework versus bomb comment and then i was like what does that mean guys and then they helped me out so basically i'm paraphrasing because it's been a minute since i watched the episode but Ryota says something about like how if you can use gunpowder for a firework or a bomb, but it's how you use the gunpowder that is sort of what matters. I think this is a really true and good point. Like if you look at the most evil of like in our fiction storytelling stories, it's a twisted way of good. Like all, all evil is born out of good. It's kind of like inside out, like joy and also life. Joy can't exist without sadness, you know? And, And it's like, it's like yeah i couldn't agree more with that honestly it's and but though is what he's doing right like if we look at storytelling as being sort of a form of manipulation like how much worse is what he's doing because he's just using it as like a tool to like make the audience feel something firework yeah yeah because he says like oh i want to use my anime to like make the world a better place or something right then i think junko is coming along trying to make him twist that into using it for evil She's mm-hmm. trying to take the gunpowder and make it into a bomb. And he is trying to take the gunpowder and put it into a firework. Exactly. I think there's a really tragic moment after Junko and Mukuro watch the anime that he's created where Junko starts destroying his anime collection. Yeah. Oh and my says, God. like, yours is so much better. Like, all of these are trash. Like, I'll never watch these again because of how good yours was. And I think... And I think it's just kind of like, I don't know, that was one of, actually, I don't want to say that because this episode gets really dark really fast. I was going to say it's one of the saddest moments of the episode, but it is not. But it is like (laughs) one of the first sad moments of the episode because it's just, when I look at that scene, I think of all of the creators who spent their time and their life and their like creative energy on those projects. And it's just, it reminds me of, when I go and watch a movie and it's, you know, better than a different one I've seen, how much I regard that new movie over the old and I forget how that older art like used to like affect me. And like, it just, it made me really sad. I was like, oh, 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 oh man, sad. But yeah, yeah, that was a hard scene to watch. I think that also brings up a good point of like, in general, when analyzing art, it's so important to look at it through the lens of the time, one, the time it was made and like, you know, for what it was when it was released and, and, you know, having those conversations of like what it looks like now, like we talk about Danganronpa, like, you know, the first game made 10 years ago and they don't really have any queer canonically queer people in the thing. And we talk about how, like, you know, maybe the issue, the core problem isn't like if we're arguing, if certain characters are queer or not, but it's that the game didn't tell us or the game didn't make it canon and that's like a product of the time period. But we also love these games despite that having this, you know, having those conversations. And so, you know, it it is like, I, I just wanted to like say that because it, you know, it is sad. I feel that way. Like my favorite show is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but one, it's not a perfect show. There are problems with it big time, especially as years have passed. And two, I've watched other shows that have had a similar impact on my life as that show had when I first watched it. And so it is kind of sad to like find that, you know, almost replaced in a way, but it doesn't mean it was less important to you when, when you first watched it, like it changed your life when you saw it. So 
Chiaki. Chihiro. No, Chiaki. Like, I'm just Chiaki. talking about how, like, you know, she she's not there anymore, but she still impacted your right. life, even though you don't really remember her art. Yeah. Like, it made you who you are, even if you, in 10 years, I forget Buffy ever existed. Like, that made me part of who I am now. So, yeah. I, I, I like how my ass said, Chihiro. <laughs> <laughs> also Chihiro. <laughs> Because like I thought you were like I had you thought I'd said the wrong person for the oh, one comment. No. I thought that was what yours. It was very was like, unclear was what like, I was doing. It's hero. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, my! I have a note. I have a note also, kind of like in in regards to that scene where Junko is destroying the anime, but it's not a deep or thoughtful note at all. It's just um, I lol'd when she's doing that and she yells like we don't need any of this anime anymore and like gets the bat to go smash it and the disclaimer text comes across the screen like this is her personal opinion i i was like i love (laughs) so good (laughs) that was funny Uh, yeah i felt like one of the creators was like animating this scene and they were directly talking to me like they were like we see this we're not happy with it either (laughs) (laughs) my next note is just Gundam's grizzly bear appreciation there just you know a shout out wanted to give that Mm -hmm. and I also wanted to say Marin I can see why you ship the ultimate imposter and Mekon I can see it I I really too I I think that's a cute ship isn't it it just warms my heart and they're so respectful of each other like it's oh my goodness I yeah, that, yeah, that's one of my OTPs from this game. Like, that's real so talk. good. I love so cute. that. Yeah, he's like, so he's very good to her. Like, mm-hmm. he respects her. And yeah, it's just, it's just good. And I um, think like, he's so intense. Like, he like pins her against the wall. But I don't think he knows that that's really how it looks like he's just like I'm intense like we've <laughs> got to figure out where Ryota went and she's like oh my gosh like <laughs> yes we do <laughs> yeah oh it's so good I love they're so, so cute oh. I know some people ship him and um or them sorry we don't know the gender them and Ibuki too because of I think in the manga there's like some stuff implying I- I'd have to look but like there's stuff implying that like they could be romantically involved, which I also think is very interesting. And a lot of people ship Mekon and Nabuki. So it's like this triangle, triangle. of like potential shippage, which I, I love all of the combos. I, I'm definitely a multi-shipper. So yeah. that's it's, it's cute. So my my last note before we get into like the the biggest, most awful, most tragic event of Hope's Peak High School history, whatever, is when Junko uses her super analysis. And like her eyes start rolling around. Like I, I honestly, I'm sorry. I laughed at that. Like I, I was like, seriously, like <laughs> I had a hard time taking that seriously. Cause I know that like, that's supposed to be the twist p- part of like, what's the twist on Junko's character is that she comes across as like, Ooh, this dumb blonde. Like she's kind of almost that stereotype, but then she's actually a super genius. And so like, I, I appreciate the attempt at that kind of twist on things, but I, do start to see in this anime why people don't like her as a villain to be perfectly honest I think my opinion of her has changed a little bit like I liked her as a villain originally um like after Trigger Happy Havoc I thought she was like an interesting character but I'm starting to kind of see why a lot of people are like eh not not a fan I I agree I've never really liked Junko 
uh, as a villain because I think the real villain are the other students with each other who causes all the problems like obviously Junko sets up the situation but it's the kids who oh my god are you saying 60 40 on the kids right now oh (laughs) oh my god (laughs) oh my god (laughs) i i'm okay let me let's say that again because being antagonistic (laughs) is different than being the mastermind so like junko i would say is not a foil for any of the characters she isn't she's not like you know in it a lot really and the the antagonistic tension and energy and the discourse between the students that makes it so intense and a zero-sum game and all of this stuff is the kids with each other so i was thinking between the last time we filmed and today about why i do think junko is a good villain and it directly relates to caroline what you just said which is that i think that junko is the perfect villain for this game because she's just evil and we can get on with that and analyze the evil within the kids (gasps) she is the perfect backdrop to be able to forget about the common enemy and just focus on the kids and how they're being affected. Like that she serves to bring about character development. That is so real. So what I'm hearing, interestingly enough, is that Junko is not a gray area, nuanced character. She's just evil and that's all there is to it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And I, I see that now, I think. And I, I think that's now why I'm starting to feel like she's a little bit less interesting of a villain. And so, yeah. Which that actually, I think I would agree with. Because I think that that goes along with what I said is that we're done with her. You know, right. like she's <laughs> made her case and, and you know, so I actually changed my opinion from like the last time we filmed where I was like, no, she's interesting. Do you like my Marin impersonation? Um, but like... <laughs> But like, I I agree. I just think, I don't think she's a bad villain. And I think she's an uninteresting one, but it serves to make the game interesting as a whole. That's true. Ah. That is okay. I couldn't have said it better. Actually, that's really, really true. Yeah. Because like the best villains, like Javert in Les Mis is is like one of my favorites because it's, he's, it's his humanity that makes him interesting to read and to watch in the musical. And so, you know, read in the, the book. So just reading the book watching the musical just so that's clear <laughs> i don't read musicals like but yeah so oh Marin, wow you're you know you're like really smart maybe you should like have a podcast or something where you talk oh. about these things well i, I would like i would need like two co-hosts to do that you know like maybe someone who's like really smart with books someone who's like mm. really smart with psychology i just don't know where i'd find that yeah i don't know where you get yeah it's that. like if you were going to meet those kinds of people it would have been like in middle school or something so yeah like the, the window has passed bom, bom. <laughs> 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 we're so funny <laughs> um so talking about the children being evil i think lends really well into caroline your segue <laughs> <laughs> segue um is so you know this biggest most awful most tragic event in human history it kind of goes off without a hitch honestly like it goes as planned like the kids murder each other immediately and it's isn't this sort of the test for the killing game a little bit i i had a note that it's like it's like the killing game in beta right right (laughs) it's so true (laughs) 
<laughs> so and then so in trigger happy havoc they don't all immediately slaughter each other it's like a slower burn but there are survivors so why is it that it works the goal is met in this version of it but at the end of trigger happy havoc the goal isn't like met because they're they're survivors which could have been we you know we've talked about this before that junko wanted to fail to feel the despair of failure so you know that's i guess one thing you can say but yeah i that's a good question because i honestly watching this whole scene i felt like i didn't have enough context or information to adequately suspend my disbelief at certain points i was like really like it's been like five minutes and they're all it's already a bloodbath like i i was right. a little skeptical of that so honestly i pulled a classic marin here and i looked at the dvd tapes and i went to google translate and tried drawing in the japanese symbols to see what the <laughs> videotape said because <laughs> that's just what i do <laughs> and <laughs> and i definitely got a lot of them wrong because like some of the stuff didn't make any sense at all to me like it just it and like to listeners I don't speak Japanese I cannot write Japanese and so this could be very incorrect and I just want to put that out there that I am no expert on the language of Japanese but I got from one of them city date like a date like a like a date date and then the other one I got was mosquitoes Oh my god. I have a feeling that was I think that was operator error. (laughs) I agree. But the city date could be one. I just think I the the fact that the videos had words that were not just like so-and-so's video, or the fact that I think the videos did not have words that were just so-and-so's video, um (laughs) could be motivation to be like oh like that's what my dvd is about like you know like i don't Mm. want that in there and the only other big thing that i think was a propelling factor was when mukuro shot the one girl in the classroom yeah because the main student council guy or one of the main student council people were was like you know like wait like we just need to and then someone's dead like imagine you're in a classroom, three people come in and within 10 seconds, someone's dead. And there's a bunch of weapons on the floor and something very incriminating in a DVD. Like that's, you don't have time to react. You don't have time to process really. And so I'm not Hmm. saying it's right at all. I'm not saying it's right at all. No. However, this is like pressure cooker times infinity times a million bajillion there's no food no water no hope (laughs) nothing but you know what they do have is they have like an escape they can get out like eventually like if they suck it out and didn't kill each other they could leave it's not like they're trapped in the school mukuro says like if you guys don't kill each other i'll kill you yeah and Uh, she kills the one girl you know right okay yeah like they they have a threat from either Mukuro and Izuru who's blocking the door or each other. And like, I don't know why they choose each other. Sometimes so, they don't though. Like there's like the two people who are in love who are like, let's make death beautiful. And then like someone comes from behind, you know, and, and gets one of them. <laughs> that was very disturbing. This whole episode yeah, that, was hard um, to watch. I almost like, 
in this series, there have been two moments that I've almost stopped like continuing on because I I'm somebody who's very sensitive with media. One is Ibuki's death in DR two. And the second is, was this moment. Like I was watching it and like, I don't know what was going on with my version of this that I watched, but the blood was red in the version I watched, not pink. And it was horrifying to watch because it was red like that that little difference like and, and then when I rewatched it for this episode that we're filming right now it was pink and I was like wait I, I thought it was red like I remember it being red when I watched it and thinking oh my god this is so much worse because the blood is red yeah anyway but yeah huh. it's so horrible so at the very end of this murder scene people are killing each other there's a girl who has a chainsaw and on the chainsaw is written Jason Freddy which I believe is a reference to Freddy versus Jason, which is a 2003 American slasher film, which was a crossover between Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th between Freddy Krueger and Jason Voorhees, I believe is how you pronounce it. Um, and super interesting reference. I think this was included because I think Freddy is supposed to represent Junko in this scenario because in this movie, Freddy appears to Jason and tries to manipulate him into killing all of the citizens of Springwood to create fear and allow for Freddy to regain strength and regain like kind of his appearance and uh, respect, respect, lol, in like the kind of killing communities right which is i think what junko is doing here with izaru is saying hey get this classroom to attack each other and she's gaining her you know power and her strength but the chainsaw is not a weapon of choice for freddy or jason in their movies if you think about american slasher films or just slasher films in general a chainsaw is really more closely recognized with a person named leatherface from texas chainsaw massacre yeah mm. yeah and what's really interesting about leatherface is that freddie is a demon that appears in dreams jason is pretty much a zombie but leatherface is a hundred percent human which is part of what makes him so terrifying and so the fact that in this scene with a freddie jason reference she's choosing to use something that's a hundred percent human to cause all of this like bloodshed i think is a direct reference to kind of what we were talking about with junko where it's just the kids like it's the darkness that like sometimes is there and just being shown so evidently and disturbingly on the screen i was just kind of yeah also, there might be a movie between Jason, Freddy, and Leatherface coming out soon. Letting you really? know that. I will not watch it because I don't like horror. But... <laughs> yeah, no way. That is... Yeah. <laughs> nope, nope. I like horror. Yeah. I'll watch it. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. someone does. Oh, it's no. funny, though, because, like, yeah, I, I, one of my notes, honestly, was that this scene in this anime, I found really hard to watch, even though I am someone who watches a lot of horror. And, like, I consider myself like pretty like I have a pretty strong stomach a lot of it doesn't bother me like this was hard to watch even for me so you can only imagine what it was like for poor <laughs> small Caroline oh yeah quivering <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah and 
spoiler alert for Freddy versus Jason in case you're watching it, but the end of this scene in Danganronpa 3 with the severed head, that is how that Freddy versus Jason ends, is literally with Jason surfacing from the lake holding Freddy's head. And so, like, this is a reference to that. I am right. sure of it. Yeah. But um, just uh, crazy parallels and just disturbing. Uh, I didn't sign up for this. I know, really? I mean... Yeah, it is it is interesting because like maybe, you know, this beta version was less despair inducing for Junko, which is why she decided to go with like the slower burn version of the killing game because I was just thinking like, you know, a parallel to this would be like the second case with the secrets because everyone sees their own secret. You know, it's kind of like you said like they saw in the DVD the words potentially of something implying their fatal blunder or whatever it was um and this is kind of similar you know mosquitoes (laughs) that's actually in Chihiro's free time event um oh yeah Yeah. there's like a mosquito inside I forget yeah it was cute that mosquito's been making his rounds yeah her rounds actually Mm. only female mosquitoes bite people I didn't know that oh my god genocide jack is a mosquito (laughs) human mosquito (laughs) That's a, such an interesting fact, Maddie. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Th- they do need... mo- do oh, moose they... eat meat? No. My uh, moose eats meat. But Marin's moose eats, eats meat. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> female mosquitoes, they mosquitoes in general don't like eat blood as like a food source generally. What? The female mosquitoes just need blood to be able to incubate their eggs. I have a note about Izuru Kamakura's theme, which is uh you remember when Nagito died and there's that like um operatic music in the background yeah it's the same as Izuru's like when he walks into the room at the end of everything and that's it's called Izuru Kamakura's theme which I think is very interesting because it almost implies that Nagito may have known does does he actually know he knows that that Hajime isn't an ultimate so maybe he doesn't know but he subconsciously knows because they're in love um in the in the second game, in Goodbye Despair, isn't that music track called like something like "Let Us Sing of a Hollow Victory"? I think, but it's also called Izuru Kamakura. Yeah, theme. that's so interesting. Yeah. And I remember seeing that and being like, "I can't talk about this." <laughs> <laughs> and that's think- that's so interesting though, because Izuru Kamakura is like Hope's Peak's Hollow Victory. Right. It's like he fulfilled his purpose, but he, oh, yeah. like at what cost? Yeah. I think that even like no matter where Nagito is in knowing who Hajime slash Izuru is, they're both really the two, like to bring up what you were talking about earlier, Car- uh, Caroline, I was going to say character, Caroline, um, they're really the two gray characters in that they are both like Izuru is just, I'm bored with everything. I've seen everything. I know all of the world everywhere. Yeah. And Nagito is doesn't see just black or white it's always gray and so it's two very interesting characters who kind of view the world in like a similarly different way question mark yeah I don't know it's kind of interesting I think that they both do relate in some ways we found this classroom in Trigger Happy Havoc with all of the chalk outlines of the bodies and I remember thinking like when I played Trigger Happy Havoc that I was like what group did this like what organization did this who who's the evil mass murderer right who did this and it's them 
it's the bodies themselves. Like it's like, right. oh, that was just yeah. a lot. The next thing I have is that Kisakura promises to protect Kyoko, which mm-hmm. is pretty cute. Pretty, pretty cute. So we see, I think, why Kizakura has been like kind of like joshing with with Kyoko and sticking by her side and being all choky choky little buddy. Oh yeah. yeah. And then lastly, I had a question. So we see Junko sends out an email, a mass email to everyone about the about the uh, massacre that just happened. And I wanted to ask, did she ever lie in that video? It was quite clearly propaganda, right, in that it was a very one-sided view of what happened. Um, and I think the only lie that I picked out was that she kind of implied that Izuru was the murderer, the only person responsible for the murders. But other than that, did she lie? Yeah, wait, I agree with you, Marin, because she said like, oh, Izuru did this. Izuru just stood there. He killed one of them who was attacking him. Yeah, yeah. Right, in self-defense, you could say. But other than that, I think it's really interesting to think about that video and how it doesn't always take a lie to twist the truth. Right. Oh, Marin! I was literally about to say, like, the same thing in response to that, like, because you're right, she didn't lie. Yeah. But, But lying isn't always in such a black and white form it it is gray got that's been the theme of this episode is is finding the gray 50 shades of gray (laughs) one one zero three seven shades of gray that title for the episode (laughs) it's funny because like i don't have a ton of notes for the despair arc of this episode just because maybe i mean we were talking about storytelling being a form of manipulation. It was like almost as if I couldn't focus on anything except what was occurring because it was just so horrible and gruesome. Yeah. And maybe that's kind of in the creator's own way. This was part of their own manipulation of like the audience viewing this, this work itself because it was so horrible to watch. Yeah. And that also makes me think like, I had this thought when I was watching kind of towards the end of this episode is like, after that, like, after that email goes out from Junko, and the masses, you know, come to the gates of the school, and they're angry, and they're, like, mobbing, and they're, like, what is our money going towards? I was, like, is that <laughs> their, like, I, I, that's their primary concern? Right. It seems like if they received the news of this, like, massacre, they'd be, like, a little more freaked like a- out, rather than just, like, our money! <laughs> but, like, they didn't see what we saw. You know what I mean? They only right. heard about it through hearsay. So like they didn't have the same reaction that we did. And Hope Speak is trying to cover up the massacre. So I don't know if right. even the public knows it happened. Well, I think they do because of the footage that Junko sent out. Oh gosh, but, I'm so sorry. Know, it's been so long since I watched No, that. it's okay. Oh. But they, you know, they they didn't, they don't, A, they did not see it in the first hand perspective like we did and b they were led into thinking that it was just like izuro kamakura who all who their money murdered creating, who then went and murdered all of them yeah right okay so yeah at that point then. rather than them killing each other this like, is what our money's going towards <laughs> like like how about students were murdered my Let's tax dollar man <laughs> All right, listeners, so for today's amended Bedwood Behead, we are going to be picking between the three characters, Monica, Nagito, and the entire Hope Speak Student Council. So, um, <laughs> each of us... 
<laughs> yes, that is <laughs> what we're doing. Each of us has quietly thought of a prompt to give, um, and we will now share them. So I could go first, I suppose. Um, mine is that who do you want to binge watch all six of the Sharknado movies with in a row, no breaks? They're about two hours each, so it'd be 12 hours long of a movie binge. Thank you for the, the time length that was yes. necessary in my decision-making process. Um, mine is who would you want to open a coffee shop with? Like start a small business coffee shop. Okay. Um, mine is going to seem simple and be very difficult. Who would you take to therapy? So like, I, so, I think they need therapy yeah. or like, is it couples therapy <laughs> Or uh, like you would you'd be dropping them off at therapy, picking them up, maybe going and grabbing a celebratory snack afterwards. Well, I think the answer is uh, every single person. <laughs> That's why it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> um, you just drive them in a bus to therapy. It's like maybe it's group therapy. Oh, that would be perfect. Okay, actually, I, I have an answer. Should I go first? <laughs> Sure, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> Maddie, was laughing at Grerapy. <laughs> Grerapy? I didn't even hear that. It's I'm sorry, I did therapy. not. So I would take Monica to therapy. I think that she, I mean, I think all of them need it. Let's be real. I was going to say, I think she needs it. Everyone needs it. But I would take Monica to therapy because, you know, she is very young. She's a teenager. And I think she might need someone to talk through things with you know and just have some some good conversations and have someone there to support her through everything she's going through because yeah um (laughs) and then I would start open a coffee shop with um I almost said Nagito but I was like no because of his luck like things would go wrong like all the time I don't think I could do that so I would open a coffee shop with the entire student council of Hope's Peak because (laughs) there would be there would be plenty of people like working in this coffee shop so that like people could cover each other's shifts if someone couldn't come in like you wouldn't have to worry about being stressed out and like understaffed like you know it would it would work it would work out I would binge watch all of the Sharknado movies with Nagito because I think he would really enjoy them um, I enjoy them a lot. They're cinematic masterpieces, I will say. I've only seen the first two or three or four, but I really want to watch all of them. They're so good. Sharknado, just an absolute cinematic masterpiece. And yeah, Nagito and I would have a great time. Maddie, this is why your sense of humor is Kokichi. <laughs> because you, you subject yourself to four Sharknado movies. <laughs> and enjoy it <laughs> okay <laughs> just for, so we're clear <laughs> oh. all right i can um, go oh. Oh, oh you can go therapy can be had no matter where you're at in life and so i just want to put that out there that while all these people do need therapy it's okay to get therapy and get help and i suggest it if you need it yeah i think Absolutely. all humans should have therapy if you're alive on this planet and living this life therapy's for you (laughs) yeah yeah it's good to talk to someone it is it's so good I have my answers so I would take Monica to therapy because I think she I think she could really use someone to talk to I don't think she has any 
friends really left. I mean, she really alienated her four friends, you know, and she all she has is robotic bears and now she's in space alone. So maybe some Zoom therapy for that girl. <laughs> Um, I would take the entire student council to go see all six Sharknados with no breaks um, because I think you can learn a lot about a person from watching Sharknado with them, you know, oh, yeah. and I, and we don't know a lot about the student council. So I feel like, you know, me and the entire student council would have a really good time. Um, yeah. Then I would open a coffee shop with Nagito because yes, he has a lot of bad luck, but my goodness, does he have a lot of good luck. <laughs> so it would all even out in the end and everything would be hunky-dory, you know? Yeah. Oh, I know. <laughs> so I would take Nagito to therapy because I really care about Nagito a lot. And I, I like, I do like, he is a little bit of a, he is a wild man but I just love him, you know, and I want him to have some therapy because he, you know, he is a little cutie, you know, he just, he just wants, yeah. And so maybe yes. some therapy would help him out. And also he has like this weird luck superpower, you know, so maybe having someone to talk to about that, like might be beneficial for him. I don't know. Just sign that out there. <laughs> um, for opening a coffee shop. I also choose the student count, the entirety of the student council, because um, you would never be short on employees. And that I, I will say is so beneficial though, I guess viewing it from a money perspective, if you're paying 16 people to be employed at your coffee shop, that's going to be a little bit of a deficit, but maybe they can alternate months. There we go. Alternating months with eight employees. Hmm. Genius. Um, and then I would do Sharknado with Monica because I just think that she would like be crapping on the movies the whole time as would I and I need that kind of energy if we're going to be watching bad movies together like, I just <laughs> need someone who's going to be like wow this is terrible and make fun of it the whole time um, so that's why I pick Monica. Maddie you are clearly not invited to movie night with Monica and Caroline. Yeah, oh no I, I'd be doing the same thing. It, it, I mean, it's they're, they're so horrible to watch that they're good. It, they're like, so that's bad. Why they're good. They were yeah. Created. Like, yeah. No one, went, no one in the creative team of Sharknado went in going, what are we trying to say to the world? <laughs> when, when the shark gets picked up by the tornado, that's really a metaphor for all of the negative energy being lifted out of the waters, out of the people on the boat's lives, and just being thrown at them, <laughs> thrown in their face. <laughs> Thank you all for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you check us out on all our social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Amino. We are everywhere and we would love to hear from you. Speaking of hearing from you, leave us a voice message on anchor.fm. We would love to hear your questions and just get to know what you guys want to know more about in the Dong and Rope world. Are you interested in more content from the Ultra Hope Girls? Become a patron. The lowest tier is just $2 a month and you will get access to a bunch of cool new episodes or with a little bit more each month, you'll get added to a Discord where you can chat with each of us and meet a community of really cool people who love Danganronpa just like you. And I think that's it. So we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye! Bye. <laughs>